want to invite you to pray that prayer that we pray around here pretty often on Sunday mornings. And just to say to God, it's a, it's a moment. It's just a, just a brief few seconds for you to, just you and God, whatever your posture of prayer is, but to say to him, God, if you'll speak to me, I'll listen. So you can say that no matter what you're believing about God and what you're struggling to believe about him. You can say that no matter if you come here really excited about what God's doing in your life or not sure he's even there. You can't seem to find his work in your life. No matter how you come, if it's true of you that you would say to him, God, I want to hear from you, so speak to me and I'll listen. You just say that to him in the stillness of your heart in your own way. I'll give you a minute and then I'll pray for us. God, I confess to you, even here with your people, that it's sometimes awkward for me to, to pause. Awkward for me as a pastor to ask us to pause. Awkward to pray that same prayer again. God, if there's a better way, I pray you would lead me in that. But until then, I trust you. And God, we pray and say that we want to hear from you because we want more than stale religion. We want more than songs and a few good ideas. We want more than learning. We want more than emotions. God, we want your activity in our lives. We want your handiwork in our hearts. And so, God, for everyone who would say that, that they would desire to hear from you, that they would desire to listen, not just with their ears, not even just with their hearts, but with their lives, with their decisions. God, for each one who would pray that, I pray now, God, that you would be faithful to answer that. God, that you would let us leave knowing that we've heard from you through the silliness of preaching. God, I pray that we would know we've met with you, that your word would be sweet to us today. I ask it for the glory of your name alone, Jesus. Amen. Hey, I just have a, a particular burden uh, this morning to make sure I'm saying to you uh, how awesome our kids' team is. <laughs> and some of you are part of that team, and so thank you. Um, we got folks back there serving, and, and not just babysitting, but, but doing their very best to start the story of Jesus, to start the gospel in kids' lives back there. And uh, that's awesome and incredible. And so I just want you to know that they're there. But more than that, I want to encourage you, if you have a kid back there, when you go to get them, or maybe some other time during the week, man, encourage those folks and tell them thank you. Let them know that what they're doing matters, all right? Because they are awesome and incredible. Uh, just wanted to put that out there today. Tell you how my day started out. I hope yours started well. Mine started uh, by knowing when I woke up this morning that I was locked out of my office here at the church. Uh, completely locked out. Uh, couldn't get in, didn't know what to do. And uh, that's not usually, that type of thing is not a really uncommon thing for me because I'm a, a loser. Uh, not, <laughs> y'all are getting too excited about that. I didn't mean like loser as opposed to winner. Calm down. Uh, I know that apparently you think that. Anyways, uh, I meant loser like I lose things, right? That's where I was going with that. Um, 
I, I lose things like my glasses, like my Bible, like my keys all the time. And so it's not uncommon for me to need to get somewhere and not be able to get there. Right? It's just a thing. I, I was locked out of my office this morning. Thankfully, I, I don't even know how. I, I guess the, the door fairy came through the angel of doors God sent. I don't know. The door was unlocked when I got here this morning. I suspect it was uh, A.J. Davidson. But uh, my door was unlocked for me when I got here. So that solved a problem. But I woke up nervous this morning going, hey, uh, there are things I need in that office. Uh, a microphone is important. It's in that office. There's the stuff I need in there. What am I going to do about that? Another little snafu that happened in my life yesterday, I, I was sitting on the couch hanging out with my family, and we started to hear our dog, his name's Buddy, uh, we started to hear him whimper, and that's not normal for him. Uh, usually he kind of lets you know what he wants, he's pretty vocal, uh, or he just doesn't make any noise, but he started to whimper, and why, and it, started, it sounded weird, it sounded muffled, and so I got up and I went, and uh, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be sharing this, we'll find out in a minute, uh, I'll know after service, uh, but anyways, uh, our dog sleeps in his cage uh, on the bottom, like under the shelves, so he's not up on a shelf anywhere near the food, but his cage, his bed is in our pantry, in our kitchen. I don't know how that happened, I don't know, some of you may have moved it in when you helped us move in, just threw it there and we left it, by the way, right, but the dog sleeps in his cage in the pantry, well what had happened was someone had gone into the kitchen and got something out of the pantry and to make everything nice and tidy, closed the doors back, not really and the dog was asleep and so he was stuck in the pantry and he was in there whimpering and whining I share these things with you because they're they're really distinctive marks that somebody has been present in my house this weekend and that's my dad <laughs> my dad is an awesome dude my dad may be listening right now right so I love you dad not here to disparage you in any way um but, but my dad has been here. They've been visiting with us this week they had hoped to be able to be here today but they couldn't some some stuff scheduling wise medically but um, they've been here this week and they've been hanging out with us for the first time since we moved as a family to Georgia. And my dad is just a guy who, he, he, first of all, he doesn't really like stillness. He doesn't do still really well. He wants to be moving, doing something, figuring something out, planning something. My dad is also a huge servant-hearted guy. And so he's constantly doing things for you, sometimes even if you didn't ask him yet, right? Even if you didn't know it needed to be done, he's doing it for you. And so like yesterday when I was bringing them around and showing them, hey, this is kind of where I'm at during the week. And I showed them my office. I walked out of the office. I'd been out of the office about point two seconds and I turned around and my dad had just closed the door behind him and it was locked right he had locked the door he's just helping me out right he's just making it what it needs to be locked the door closed it it was my dad who closed the pantry doors and and put, put the dog in there not even paying attention because he wants to be neat nice tidy he just closed the doors up for it. he's keeping everything nice for us right not realizing that he's making the dog a captive my dad's just that guy. There's, there's been Christmases where we've had to go searching through the trash bags full of wrapping paper to find the instructions or the batteries or maybe even a piece of a gift that I received, right? Because my dad is so quick when the, the, the moment is over of unwrapping the presents, he's already there with the trash bag putting the stuff in. He's getting rid of it. That's just him. So, so when stuff like that starts to happen, I know that my dad is around. The same is true for you. Some of you could take a blindfolded taste test and you could pick your grandmother's pie out of four pies. You could taste every single one. They could all be good. And you could go, uh-uh, that's Nana's. Really? I know Meemaw's coconut pie, and that's Meemaw's. <laughs> you could do that, right? Some of you know that very distinctive scent that a person may have, that, that cologne they may wear or that perfume they may wear, and it may be something you really love. It may be something that you're less excited about. <laughs> but, but you know when you smell that smell, they're probably around somewhere. For me, that used to be the green bottle polo. I used to be made fun of Told I smell like pine trees. That's a side note. Don't know why I went there, okay? Right? But when you smelled pine trees, you knew I was around. There are just things that people in your life do, and you know when they do those things, when, when you see those things, it was them, they're near. For the last several weeks and for a couple more after this one, we're considering and we're searching out in Bible study on Sunday mornings to see what are those things, what are those 
unique identifiers? What are those trademarks of the church when the church is what it's supposed to be? When the church is functioning in health the way that God has designed it and the way that he gives his spirit to us to empower it to be. When it's working the way it's supposed to work, it'll never be perfect. But when it's flourishing, what are some of the trademarks that mark this authentic Christian community? We've said in recent weeks that the church is you. So whatever you think about church, put yourself in the pile. <laughs> right? Figure out a way to make it better. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're the church. We've said that the church is messy, so don't come in expecting perfection. Don't come in expecting that your, your feelings might never, ever be hurt if you're committed long enough. Don't, don't expect those things. It's, it's messy here. We're sinners. We're people who still sin. We're saints that sin regularly. That's us. The church is messy. We said last week that the church is committed in Christ, and so we're not just a group that's trying to grow a bigger group. We're not just a people who's trying to do good things. We're committed, we're devoted to God and each other in Christ. We're trying to grow spiritually. In his word, in prayer, we're trying to walk toward him and take next faith steps together. This week, we're going to see another unique identifier of authentic Christian community. And I believe it's one that shines brightly. I believe it's one that will be a really stark contrast to our culture if we see it happen. And just remember that the aim of this series is not to, to say, this is what you need to do, do it rightly. Though certainly God's word does give us mandates. Really, the aim is to say, this is what it looks like when it happens well, and lift that up and go, God, that's awesome and incredible. Do that in me. And then we make our effort to live it out. We're going to see a trait today in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians actually, at very least, the fourth letter that we know about that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. We know that because in what we call 1 Corinthians, he references a prior letter, so that makes two. And then in this letter, 2 Corinthians, he references another letter written between the two, so that makes four. So he's had a long history with this church, and it hasn't always been great. Paul's gone there, he's shared the gospel with them, he's tried to encourage them. But like has often happened in other places, these opponents of Paul's have come along behind him, and they're trying to discredit him, and they're, they're trying to get him canceled, is what we would say in our culture. They want the people to no longer pay attention to him, listen to him, and therefore no longer believe the gospel that he preached. And instead, these opponents of Paul want the, the people, the church in Corinth, to buy into them and to their message for their own gain. So Paul has had a couple of letters written. Paul has made a visit that didn't go exactly as he had hoped with the church in Corinth. And after he wrote a really sharp, severe letter, he says a letter that caused tears probably for him and probably for the church. Most of the people in the church in Corinth repented of their sin and went, yes, I see the gospel clearly and that's where I want to walk. And so most of the church is back walking faithfully and yet there's this, this minority in the church, there's this smaller group in the church that's still stiff neck and they're pushing back. And Paul writes this letter to say to that group, hey, listen, I'm writing this to you. I want you to listen. Please let God's spirit guide you to conviction and then to faithfulness so that when I come and see you again, we're not dealing with this stuff anymore. And he's writing that. In doing so, he defends himself because he believes that if they discredit him, then they will discredit the message that he preached, which is the gospel. And so a couple of areas where these opponents have picked him apart, he's supporting, he's showing to the people, no, this is why this is actually godly. This is a sign of my apostleship. And then we've seen he's defending, really in the section of Scripture that we're jumping in today, he's defending his message. Specifically in the last few verses, I believe it's verse 7 through 11, you can glance at that, you can read that this afternoon, but he's been talking about the superiority of 
this new message, this gospel message, in contrast to this old covenant message that we see in the Old Testament. There are many ways that the Old Testament was useful for the people of God in the Old Covenant. There are many ways when it's still useful for us. One is that it reveals the character of God clearly. So when we see all these specifics about the tabernacle and the temple, and we saw these specifics about sin and exactly what to do and how to do things, you see that God is holy. <laughs> that God is perfect. And, and there's so much that if you try to get every single bit of that stuff all right, you'll, you'll fail to compute. Your brain will have a cloud of smoke puffing out your ears because God is holy and perfect. The old covenant law reveals the character of God. And therefore, secondly, it reveals the standard of God for us. That a holy God would only be near those who are like him, holy. It reveals a standard that was never able to be kept, but it does reveal a standard. And in that, it's still useful even for us today. Another thing that the Old Covenant did was to reveal the sacrifices and the patterns and the practices that were to be their way of relating to God. It was to be their way of believing in him and, and relating to him, talking to him, confessing sin to him, staying in a good relationship with him. It was meant to be that. And it was good for that for a long, long time. It was good for them in that. But that time came to an end. There's a better message. And that was the, the plan from the beginning. God didn't make a covenant and then go, oh, I screwed up and scrap that one. That was the plan from the beginning that the old covenant was meant to point to what was coming in the new covenant. But now there's a new covenant. There's a better message in what the Bible will call and what we talk about often you hear the word around here, the gospel. And the gospel is just that the holy God has rescued sinful people through the sacrifice of his solely sufficient son. That God who's high and holy went, oh no, I love you dearly and you're going to get to be near me even though you're not holy like me, even though you don't meet the standard. You're going to be near me and I'm going to bring you near me as you have faith in my son who is the only one sufficient to make that happen. He will be holy on your behalf. He will be the sacrifice and the penalty that you owe on your behalf. That's the gospel that we hope in. All of our confident expectation of good from God flows out of that. That's the pinnacle. And that's the gospel that serves as the springboard for these verses we're going to look at today. It's the one that they jump off of, and it's the one that helps us understand what they mean. 2 Corinthians 3, chapter, or sorry, verse 12. When I find it in my Bible, because my eyes are bad. There we go. <laughs> it says this. He's just talked about this gospel, and he says this in verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So if you look back to Exodus, I believe it's chapter 34, find there that Moses, as the leader of God's people in the Old Covenant, would go up and meet with God. This wasn't a one-time thing. It was a pattern thing that he did over and over again. He'd go up and meet with God, and he would come down the mountain from being in the presence of God, or he would come out from being in the presence of God, and as he came out, his, his face would be physically lit up. It would be bright. I don't know if you've ever walked out of that back exit that's in a movie theater up there by the screens. If you've ever gone down there in the dark after the movie's over and opened the door, and the light just comes and it hits you, and you're like, whoa, right? That's what Moses' face looked like. It was bright. It was radiant. It couldn't be glared at. You couldn't stare at it. It was too much. It was overwhelming because he's been in the presence of God. And this was a way that God chose to physically reveal and show his holiness through Moses to the people. So it says that Moses would come down. He would veil his face. He would put a covering over his face. And he would keep it that way. 
until he went to meet with God again. And then he'd come back, come down the mountain, they'd see the shine, he'd cover it up. So what's going on there, you see, make sure you catch in, in verse 13, it gives a specific reason for that. Maybe a couple of reasons that Moses veils his face. One is that this glory, even of this old covenant that's not perfect and not meant to last forever and that's not sufficient for our salvation anymore after Jesus this old covenant was still awesome and incredible and powerful and strong. And so there's this brightness. And so maybe it veils it to, to help them in that way to be able to look at them. But verse 13 tells a specific reason. It says that he put this veil over his face so that they may not see the outcome. They may not see the outcome of what was being brought to an end. See, Moses' face is a symbol for the old covenant in that it was good and it was bright and it was radiant and it was strong, but it was also fading and so was his face. <laughs> you ever woken up as like a 13-year-old and gone there to the bathroom and been like, well, there's something going on with my face that wasn't going on last night, right? Imagine going in and your face is just... <laughs> there's something going on with it and it's strong and it's powerful, but it's also fading. And so Moses covers his face so that they don't gaze upon the fade. It's my understanding that Moses is, is going, hey, here's the deal. You're right now scared of what you see. Right now you see it and you're humble. Your knees buckle a little bit. You squint and close your eyes. But if you start to see that it fades away over time, it becomes a normal thing to you. And it's not quite as high and holy and it doesn't matter quite as much to you. As a symbol of the old covenant, maybe you start to understand that that doesn't matter as much because interacting with God in those moments and leading you as a people is when this happens. And so he hides from them. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but he hides from them this diminishing nature of this physical effect that the presence of God has produced on him. It's, it's kind of like us. It's kind of like us in that we feel like we need to hide a lot of times. I thought about starting today just by asking the question, have you ever felt like you needed to hide? hide yourself in some way and then I quickly realized if we're all honest that's a ridiculous question the question would be when was the last time at some point whether we have it go through our brains and our conscious minds really clearly or if it's packed down underneath in our emotions we all feel this impulse to hide we hide when we fear that our weaknesses will prevent relationships believe Moses in some ways may be protecting God's people from a lower view of God that would lead to a lower view of his holiness and not wanting to connect with him in the same way and not trusting his plan for them in the old covenant. He's going, hey, listen, if you see this, then I, then I fear that your relationship with God won't be what it could be without you seeing this. I want to protect you from that. We go and hide when we fear that somebody seeing the real me and seeing my weaknesses would be the thing that would prevent relationship. When my wife, Jamie, and I started dating, there was no Facebook. There was no social media. I don't think back then you could do pictures with your phone. If you could, it was like early on and, and probably pixelated. I don't think you could. There was no way to find what each other looked like. And we actually were set up on a blind date and, and didn't. That, we did, I stood her up. It was a bad decision. Sorry, again. Um, but we ended up talking on the phone for like a month, and there's no way to know what the person on the other line even looks like. And I'm not a phone talker, but I got excited about talking to this girl, all right? 
And right now she's going, I wish you'd be excited talking to me when you come home from work. And I say, what, how was your day? And you say, fine. Anyways, right? But, but I got excited about talking to her. We're talking all the time. And she says at one point, she initiates at one point, she says, hey, listen, I don't want this to be weird or anything, but we've been talking for a while and I really like you. And what if we send each other some pictures in the mail? Like, I don't want to be like weird. I don't want to be stalkers. But what if we, just so we know who we're talking to. And I was like, because, you know, I've already been thinking about it since we talked like day one. We were on the phone and I was thinking, how can I get to see what this girl looks like? Because I really, I like this girl. I want to see. I bet she's pretty. Right. And so uh, she, she says this and I say yes. And so I load up four or five pictures in an envelope and I send them off to Tennessee from Alabama. And then I wait for a few days and I don't get my pictures. Go, hey, did you send those pictures? We kind of get sidetracked, conversation doesn't come back up. I wait a few more days, no pictures, and I go, hey, did you send me some pictures? Because you got those pictures, right, that I sent you? She said, yeah, did you send me some pictures? And she kind of just brushes it off or whatever. Months later, I think we're engaged at this point. We're going to get married, and it comes to my mind. I go, hey, you never sent me any pictures. She said, I wasn't ever going to send you any pictures. <laughs> she said, I said that, so you send me pictures. I was never going to send you any pictures. <laughs> Now, part of that was probably wisdom that you shouldn't be sending some strange dude in Alabama some pictures, <laughs> right? But another part of it, maybe, I don't know, we really never talked about it in depth, but part of it may be, hey, I'm going to do that thing I do when I start a relationship with somebody, and I'm going to withhold some parts and make sure I show them everything I want them to see, right? You remember that when you first start dating somebody and you're going like, hey, I know this is part of me, but I'm going to try to keep that part like way in the back, like back there in the trunk until we get weeks and months down the road, and then they can see that part. <laughs> you're putting your best foot forward when you go on a job interview. You're not talking to them on a job interview about how stressed you were because you were running late to get to the interview and you didn't even know if you'd find a parking space. You're probably getting a ticket out. You're not saying any of that stuff. <laughs> you're showing them the best. Right. But we hide. We hide ourselves. We try to hide our weaknesses, real weaknesses or perceived weaknesses. We try to hide these things when we fear that those things being seen would prohibit us from being approved by, being in relationship with others. It's as old as the Scripture itself that when we see our own brokenness, when we see our own sin, we typically do one of two things, if not both. And the first is that we try to hide our sin. And the second is that we hide ourselves. Think of Moses, if you're familiar with his story. We're talking about him today when he was living in the royal family in Egypt and yet knew that he was an Israelite. If you remember the story, he saw an Israelite being mistreated and he stepped into the situation with this Egyptian officer that was being overbearing on this Israelite and he ended up killing this Egyptian officer. Remember, and he does what? He buries him in the sand, hoping that what he's done will never be seen. He tries to hide his sin. It comes to light for him really soon that it hasn't been hidden, that there are those who've seen it, and they're talking about it, and he hears the jabber, he hears the conversation, and now he knows that hiding his sin hasn't worked, and so what does he do? He flees to hide himself. Where in our lives are we hiding? Where in our lives are we feeling like we have to put parts of ourselves back in a corner and make sure nobody sees it? Or if they see it, they see it presented just like we like it. <laughs> like that Christmas tree that's got the tattered, torn part, but you turn it towards the back corner and nobody ever sees it. Where are we presenting that way in our lives? Having nothing to do with this message 
I didn't even realize until a couple of days ago that, that these two ideas were streaming together. I've had a couple of times recently where I felt like I had to hide. I realized, not this previous Friday, but a week ago, Fridays are my off days, I remember taking my youngest son to school and coming home, and I was home there by myself, and I remember a thought going across my mind. I don't know where it came from other than my heart. And it said, now you don't have to hide. <laughs> it's like, today's your off day. You don't have to try to prove anything. You don't have to be good enough as a pastor. You don't have to have all the right answers. You don't have to do any of that stuff. It's okay for you to not be doing anything today but just being a normal old dude. Church, it's not you. <laughs> You've been nothing but great and gracious and merciful and encouraging to me. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the enemy. It has to do with my own inner critic. But I realized, man, I've been living more than I realized in some sense feeling like i got to hide, and now I'm feeling free from that. Just this week, at the beginning of this week, I reached a point where I felt like I had to reach out to two or three guys that were close to me and tell them about some stuff going on in my life. I'm, I'm not about to drop any big bombs on you, I don't think, okay? But reached out to a couple guys and went, hey, man, I'm trying to do this by myself. It's not working, so I need to tell somebody. One of those guys came by here. We hung out out there in the kids' building. We prayed together. We wept. Both of us wept. Prayed. I had asked God the previous day, God, it'd be good for me to weep. Like emotionally, I need to break before you. I thought God was going to do that that morning. He did it with this other dude. I was like, God, that's not what I was talking about. But we wept, all right? We cried. And I was able to just say to him, hey, man, with, with caffeine consumption, it's not good in my life. And that seems it's so embarrassing to me, not because it's heinous, but because it's like, that's such a small thing. You should be able to get that together. <laughs> and instead, it's wreaking havoc in your life. It's not good for you. I was able to say to him, hey, in the way that I'm eating, I'm eating sometimes to make me feel good, not to fuel my body. I'm eating sometimes not to enjoy what God's given me and, and celebrate that, but I'm eating just because I'm stressed and there's an oatmeal cream pie in front of my face and I'm taking it. <laughs> had to say these things to somebody else and it turned into this beautiful moment where we weep together. I went into it and told him, like, man, I'm scared to death of this moment right here. I'm scared to tell you this because of what you might think of me, or how you might not think I'm a good enough leader, or whatever else. So we both left having cried, having confessed some things, feeling uplifted by God. But I felt the impulse to hide because I felt fear that it would ruin or tarnish or diminish our relationship. Where in our lives are we hiding? Moses hid his face because he didn't want him to see this regression. He hid his face because he didn't want them to see the diminishing effects of this old covenant that his face represented. It was a good glimpse of God, the old covenant. It was a good thing for them to have, but it wasn't supposed to be forever. But that's how they saw it, and, he, and if we understand the word right, it's how some of us still see things. Look back, verse 14. It says, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. This is Paul, inspired by the Spirit, using the same metaphor about a veil. But he's using the same metaphor, and, and now it's not about Moses as the presenter being hidden. He says, no, their, their hearts are veiled. There's a veil hanging over their hearts when they look at this old covenant that says, you perform these ways and you are accepted by God. Because there's a veil over their heart, and that's keeping them from seeing that that is not the answer. And it's so easy for you and I who are followers of Jesus Christ, and we know that we are rescued only by His grace. That even our faith is a gift of God, the Bible says. 
Man, it's His grace. It's what He has done. It's what He is doing that continues to keep us in right relationship with God. And so that doesn't make our sin okay. It doesn't make our sin acceptable, but it does make us acceptable to God. It's what He has done, not what we do. But we're so prone to people who who have even known that to just fade back into that old system, aren't we? And to think, well, if I'm doing good this week, then God's probably smiling about me. And I can come to Him and He'll like it. But if I'm not hitting my check marks this week, it can be hard for me to even think about coming near God. One of my favorite movies of all time, top five, Shawshank Redemption. If you've seen the movie, it's about an inmate wrongly imprisoned in his efforts to find freedom. I also feel the need to give the disclaimer that I found out the hard way. If you go rent that movie somewhere, that's not the same movie that they used to show on TBS, okay? And so there's some stuff in there that I did not know was in there, all right? But in that movie, there's this character. He's, he's a secondary character, and I believe his name was Brooks, an older gentleman who's been in prison for years and years and years and years. He has lived much of his life in prison, if not more of his life there than outside, and it finally becomes his day for parole. And it shows him struggle to live his life in in just everyday life now as he steps back into a world that's very different. He doesn't know how to act. He doesn't know how to behave because being captive became his way of doing life. And so he doesn't know how to. He doesn't jive with the idea of how to live as a free man. How many times do we look like Brooks? Though we're free people, How many times are we in this pattern that we just read these folks are in or when they're reading the law and reading what has to be done, reading what must be done in order for God to be pleased with them, we go, yep, that's what I got to do. I got to do all that stuff. And if I'm not, he doesn't take me. Says in these verses that we just read, verse 14, only through Christ, only through Christ is it taken away. I hope you hear this today. If you're living under this unbearable weight of I have to do, I have to perform, I must, I must, I must for God to care about me. Hear this. Only Jesus can free us. Only Jesus can free us from back-breaking religion to grace-driven effort. Only Jesus can take us from the place where we go, I'm doing all this stuff so that you'll smile at me. And instead we can go, wait a minute, you're already smiling upon me. So I want to do all this stuff driven by that grace that you're loving me, caring for me now. They were stuck in this pattern. Only Jesus could free them. What does that look like? How does he do that? Let's read these last few verses. Verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's not up for debate. It's not an idea, it's a fact. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Several weeks ago, we talked about freedom. We said that freedom is the God-given desire and ability to gladly do the things that God has called us to do. It's when we're doing the things that honor God because we want to, and it's happening. (laughs) That's freedom. 
says where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's where freedom is, where the veil is removed. And it's not about having to do. It's not about performance anymore. It's about getting to do because you've seen a God who loves you when you weren't doing and when you don't do. Spirit's promise of progression. He says from one phase of glory to another. See, Moses was hiding what would decline, what would go down in quality and value, what would regress. Moses is going, I'm hiding that. And that's why we hide, because we kind of know that experience, right, of, of we're trying to do better, we're walking, and then all of a sudden we do the thing that we hadn't done in a long time, and we go, ugh, still there. Next thing you know, you've given up, and you're still walking back in the same old path again because you haven't bought into the fact that it's actually going to change, that you're actually headed uphill towards God. Can I say to you today that when we stumble in our faith, we haven't fallen down the mountain. We're on an uphill hike in the presence of God with God. We've just stumbled our toe just a little bit. It's a stumble. It's not a fall away from God. It's a stumble on our journey up. And the Spirit's promise of this kind of progression from one phase of glory to another, that's what gives us the courage to come out of hiding. It's when we realize that God is at work in me and through the promise of the hope I have in Jesus, He is going to progress me. He is leading me forward. I may have taken seven steps back this afternoon, but the overall direction and pattern is forward because my God will only go forward. God's not concerned with digging up what's way back there. He's not concerned with rubbing my face in it. God is moving me forward. He's making more out of me for the glory of his name and my freedom. He's doing that in me. We're moving forward. And when we trust the work of God, that progression in our lives, all of a sudden, we're free. We're able to start tiptoeing in and then walking in and then running in this freedom that goes, I can be the real me. I don't have to hide. I'll never forget being probably 13 years old, 12 years old, way too old for this story to be true. Being at the beach, and my family met another family who was down there, friends of ours, to ride go-karts at the go-kart track. Just never, never grew up around motorcycles, any kind of anything with an engine, never been mine, nobody's ever taught me, never done it before, whatever. We're about to jump in it. The, the, the son in the family that we're hanging out with is a friend of mine. He's also the guy that used to go to my house and want to play boxing, and he was bigger than me, and so I just know that he's tough, and not. And sometimes he'll put it on me if he can. He knows all about it. He's excited to rub me and bump me and push me all over the track. And, and so we're going around the track in Florida, and I accidentally at some point bumped somebody with the front of my cart, just barely. Like I wasn't trying to spin somebody out. I will now if we go because I know that I know how to do that. Right? But I wasn't trying to do that then. I was trying to obey the rules because I was scared to death and didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. And in the front of my cart just happened to tap somebody's cart in front of me right next to one of the guys that was standing there working on the track, a teenage guy. He's got a whistle in his mouth. He blows it. Blows it at me. Now, had I been paying attention, had I not been so scared and so fearful, I probably would have noticed that he was blowing that whistle a lot. Every time he saw something, he was blowing, getting attention, going, uh-uh, don't do that. Stop. Mm-mm. Don't. Mm-mm. He was doing a lot of that. I didn't realize that at all. I bumped this one person. He blows at me, and I'm like, the world has ended. I'm in trouble. This is so embarrassing, y'all, but this is what I did. I pulled my cart over to the left side of the track and stopped right there because I thought I wasn't supposed to race anymore. I bumped somebody and I'm done. I obviously had not paid attention to go-kart racing. If you ain't rubbing, you ain't racing. I heard somebody say that one time. There's a Thunder reference. You're welcome. Whatever. All right, but it's what happens there. 
Sometimes you want it to, sometimes you're playful and you're having a good time, but sometimes you don't even mean to and you knock into other people. It's what happens when you're doing that. And I'm just here to say to you from that silly illustration that stubbing our toe in life is what happens when broken people live in a broken world. It will happen, but it doesn't mean that we have to sideline ourselves because there's a grace of God that is moving us forward. And it's not because we trust in ourselves that, oh, I've learned how to not bump it again. I can trust me. No, I would encourage you to trust your weakness. And in there, you will find a great appreciation for God's strength. (laughs) It's not because I'm good and I've got it and I won't do it again. It's because he is present in my life in the person of his spirit given to me to indwell my soul in some way that we don't even fully understand. But the presence of God lives in me and he's given me that spirit as a non-refundable deposit down payment that he won't ever take back. That's the language of the Bible. He's given me himself here in me, with me. And he's going forward on his mission for his glory. He's going forward to set captives free and to lead people who trust in him to flourish. He's doing that. And when I trust, and when you trust, that progression that his spirit brings into our lives, all of a sudden we can go, it's okay for me to let people know when I bump the rail. It's okay for me to let people know when I stub my toe. It's okay for me to let people know when I'm so broken down with anxiety that I don't know what to do next. i got to invite somebody in. It's okay for me to let somebody know when I'm so struggling with this thing that I thought I was beyond. I need some help. It's okay to let them know because that is the brokenness that happens when broken people walk in a broken world. And God has designed authentic Christian community to be the place where his spirit would flow through us to walk alongside each other to help find healing from him, in him, for his name, but through us together. Today, has God impressed upon your heart somewhere that you need to stop hiding? Today, could you take a a very small even next step, even if it's a very small first step, towards putting your life with some other people beyond what we do in this big group moment. Can you take a step towards, hey, I need to connect with you. Maybe it's not a community group. Maybe it's not what it, but hey, I need to talk. We need to link up. Today, you can step out of hiding because Jesus, by the person of his spirit, has stepped into you. AJ is going to come and they're going to play and we're going to sing. We're not going to sing because we have to sing. We're not going to sing because you have to have a song at the end. We're going to sing because it's a biblical, precedented thing. And we're going to sing because I believe this morning it might be good for us to have a moment to just press pause and not just say, okay, okay, go head out the door, but instead to press pause and consider what God may be pushing into our souls and to consider what we need to do about it. This is a place you, you, if you want to come down here to the front and pray, we we don't have people do that a lot, but but today I want to encourage you towards that if that's something God prompts in you. There's nothing magical or mystical about being up here, but there is something powerful about coming up and going publicly. I I need some help and somebody coming alongside you as a brother or sister and praying. And if we can help you in any way, come. Don't hide. As we sing, maybe you need to stand and sing with just a full heart as loud as you can. Maybe you need to sit and consider what God's speaking into your life. Maybe you need to go grab a friend that's in this place and go, hey, I need to talk and it doesn't need to be later. I need to talk now. Whatever you do, just do what honors God and do what is a real, authentic response to him. Let's pray. God, lead us now, not just in these moments, but as we leave here to worship you, lead us. But God, in these moments, would you give us the courage 
to step out of hiding and to step into the help that you've designed your people to be. Whatever that looks like, God, lead us in that. Give us the courage to follow. God, I believe that if we do that, we will know you all the more for it and be all the more glad because of it. Show us what that looks like, God. We ask it for the sake of your name, King Jesus. Amen.